Happy Thursday. Welcome into NSN Daily. Chris Murray, Anthony Resnick. I'm Brian Samudio. Alex Margulies is on assignments, and that is accurate. Usually when you hear he's on assignment, people go, oh, he's on vacation. No, he's actually on assignment. He really is. He's working on a, a pretty good, pretty cool project uh, that we're uh, hoping to, uh, to present to you very, very soon on this show. Christian Chamberlain, Reno Highgrad, has inked his deal with the Kansas City Royals, so congratulations to him. We'll kick that around. Uh, Chris, I love that you brought this team up because this team doesn't get nearly the pub that I think it should have. And that's that Nevada softball team back in the day where it went to the regionals and 44 wins on the year. We're going to talk about those, that group of, uh, of, of young women. Uh, Zane Meek is going to come on the show. Um, Go Challenger in the Elite Eight. So we'll go through the matchups there. And bet or no bet, I'm not going to sell this person out. I'm not going to do it. Well, we had a person at our station question whether or not Vince Carter is a Hall of Famer. And I'm going to ask Chris Murray whether or not he thinks Vince Carter is a Hall of Famer. But starting things off, uh, Jane Orville, Nevada head football coach, one of literally a handful of black coaches at that level in college football. Um, it was funny to see him say on Twitter that he uh, knocked something off his bucket list by going on Jim Rome. I thought going on you know, talking to Chris Murray is, is on the bucket list. Oh, yeah. But uh, Jane Orville went on, on Jim Rome and was very candid and was rightfully candid. It was very, very transparent. And I like that he was very transparent about these hard discussions that need to be had right now amongst his players. Yeah, he said basically for two weeks, they just uh, talked about race and what it was like to be uh, an American who grows up being black and they didn't really talk about football. And I think that was important for their team to kind of heal and to kind of understand each other. He said, one of the things I found out is we had a lot of black players who were mad at their white teammates and I felt like they needed to talk it out. Uh, then we had a lot of white kids that didn't understand what their teammates had gone through. So we had some amazing talks with players, both black and white. And, um, you know, I think we can sometimes overestimate X's and O's and things of that nature when we talk about teams and what makes them great. A lot of times it's the bonds and having the, the backs of your teammates and playing as hard as you can for your teammates. And I think discussions like this and getting to know people better uh, and getting to understand their background and what makes them the way that they are uh, is hugely valuable in building those bonds to where you have great teams. Obviously that 2010 Nevada football team, uh, you know, had some great players. I mean, they had uh, more than a dozen players make it to the NFL and talent obviously matters, but I think that team was a little bit special because uh, of how much those guys cared for each other. You looked at that senior class and so many of them uh, went through the battles together. They got blown out by Notre Dame together. They, uh, you know, got skunked in a New Mexico Bowl against New Mexico together. They came up just short against Boise State together three or four times before beating them in 2010. And they had just felt like they were playing for each other. And I think, uh, you know, as Jay kind of talked about what his team's been going through uh, with uh, Jim Rome over the last three weeks, uh, you know, it's pretty apparent that they are digging some, some deeper bonds. And I think that was reflected in the Black, uh, Black Lives Matter video that they put out, which had a number of African-American players talking about their history with racism and uh, sometimes being prejudged. And you, and you had white players saying, I, I stand with my uh, teammates. And I think that was uh, really, really important. And, uh, you know, is that going to necessarily help them win a game or not? Maybe or maybe not. But I, I do think when you, um, you know, when you love your teammate, uh, your team is going to be a lot better off for it. So yeah, it was, it was really interesting to see Jay talk a little bit about that and a little bit about his responsibility as, as you mentioned, only one of 14 uh, African American coaches in the FBS and the responsibility he feels to be successful so that there are opportunities for other uh, black African American coaches uh, to get FBS head coaching opportunities. 70% of the players in the game in college football are black, uh, yet you're talking about uh, less than 10% uh, being coaches. So, um, you know, he, he, he carries that burden as well as he tries and, uh, you know, opens up doors for other coaches. 
Yeah, I don't know how much is going to show up in the wins and losses column. It might be because players believe in each other as people um, more and more and understand each other more and more. But what this is going to do, I hope, is make these young men better citizens, better people, better humans. Um, when it comes to perspective, I, I think Nevada is very fortunate because of having a black head coach who who had a father who was an athletic director, a brother who played the game as well. Um, but the perspective that Eric Scott has, who grew up in South Central LA, um, he talked to, to the team about growing up as a teenager during the riots in 1992, Chris. It's tough being someone that is of our age, you're 10 years younger than me, but of our age, trying to throw perspective at someone who is 18 years old. And I know that's, that's, I'm not, I'm not being the old man standing on my lawn, get off my lawn, but, but that's been the way that people unfortunately can't communicate and have a tough time communicating throughout our history is that sometimes somebody who's 18 and I'm guilty of it. I'm sure everybody's guilty of it, not wanting to listen to some older than them. Uh, but Eric Scott's perspective of the Rodney King riots, I, I would imagine it silenced the room. Yeah, I mean, he talked about going to school in 1992 and there were tanks on their streets. He uh, grew up in South Central and his mom would pray for him and his brother before they went to school that they would come back home alive. Uh, that's not something that happened in my childhood, uh, very obviously growing up in the Carson Valley. And I think being able to share that experience maybe opened some eyes of uh, white teammates who uh, didn't have to go through things like that. They didn't have to have that fear in their life when they're just young teenagers, you know, before they even get to high school. So, um, yeah, I do think it's important to share that perspective. And, uh, you know, Coach Scott has done a tremendous job of recruiting for Nevada in Southern California. I mean, that's kind of been his home terrain. Uh, and he's reeled a number, a number of players uh, you know, from the Los Angeles area up to northern Nevada. I mean, uh, remember Burdell Robbins when he lost his brother uh, during his, uh, I believe it was his uh, retro freshman season, talked about how Eric Scott was basically like his father up here. And, uh, you know, those are important bonds to have. And you can have schisms within locker rooms. I think that's fairly normal. Uh, the fewer of those that you have, whether it's offense defense, whether it's black people against white people, whether it's generational, um, you know, I think the better off you're going to be for it. So, uh, you know, I, Nevada would have loved to have been able to have a spring practice and everything be normal. But I think having these Zoom meetings and being able to talk about these things in an open forum where you're not trying to rush out to practice and then get the film meetings and all of that kind of stuff really does help because it gives you a chance to you know kind of take a step back and as we go through uh you know as a country some very very difficult discussions and issues uh, they have the opportunity to sit down and talk about it as well uh and just get a better understanding for each other and yeah eric scott uh has been through a lot in his career i mean he uh, you know played at northwestern he played at ucla uh, he was a very well-respected coach there. And then he got into a legal issue himself and uh, wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't kept by the UCLA staff when Rick Neuheisel uh, took over partially because of that. And Jay Norvell was the one who reached out to him after he had been a high school coach in Southern California for a long, long time and said, let's bring you back to the college level. And ever since he's gotten to Nevada, I think Eric Scott's done a, a tremendous job, not only in recruiting, but also in, uh, you know, getting his guys to perform. I think Nevada's best position group under Jay Norvell has been wide receivers. And that's the position that Eric Scott coaches. So, uh, you know, he's done a, a great job getting the most out of guys like Romeo Dubs and uh, Elijah Cooks, McLean Mannix before he left, Caleb Fossum. So, uh, yeah, he's a really special guy and a special coach in that program. And I think he carries a lot of weight whenever he talks just because of, uh, you know, he went through some of the same experiences that a lot of Nevada's players have gone through. One of the things that we're wanting, as, as I think, as a country and as a, as a people, is to see active change. And a young player on Nevada's team who was a white player, Blake Bauman, 
was the one basically who spearheaded the online petition to bring Colin Kaepernick's image back to campus. It hasn't been completely wiped from campus, but it's hidden. You know, you really have to look for it. I mean, there's, there's the picture in the weight room. There's not much else. Um, to see that, Chris, even though even if it's just a small movement, it, it pushed the university to say we are going to, quote, bring prominent recognition celebrating Kaepernick, end quote, back to campus. It's a nudge in the right direction done by a very young person. Yeah, and I think, um, I don't think his image was ever wiped away from campus. I think uh, what some of these players are saying is, if you're an average student, or if you go on a tour visit of the University of Nevada, you would have no idea uh, that Colin Kaepernick played for the Wolfpack in his yep. alumni school. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of pictures in the athletic offices, in the football center. Um, there's one in the admission offices of the Joe. There's one in Clark administration where the president is. But you just walk around campus and you have no idea that one of the most influential humans of uh, this century uh, went to this university and is an alum of this university. Uh, so I think Nevada can do a much better job of recognizing uh, his time in Nevada and his history since. Same with Marion Motley. Same with a lot of the integration that they did in the 1940s. I mean, they were playing African-American players before a lot of schools in the West, and they were forfeiting games if those players weren't allowed to play. So uh, I think Nevada should be very proud of its history uh, of integration and for supporting the rights of African-Americans. And uh, I think they need to do a better job just generally. Uh, but I think it, that is really cool that you had Blake Bauman, who's a, a freshman, who's a white offensive lineman, and you had Giovanni uh, Miranda, who's a Hispanic, who's a sophomore linebacker, uh, you know, kind of pick up the flag and say, this is something that we want to do. Let's present it to the players. The players loved it. And then less than a week before they put the petition online, or after they put the petition online, uh, there was a substantial change from the university saying that we are going to do a better job of recognizing our, uh, you know, roots in terms of, of having African Americans at this school, not only athletically, but also, uh, you know, academically as well. So uh, it just shows you that, you know, if you get a, a group behind a very good cause and you use your voice nowadays, uh, you can get heard and you can make change. And uh, I think uh, the university will look like a much more diverse place once they get through these measures that the university said that they're going to put into place. If you want to read the entire article about uh, Jane Orville. Uh, discussing this with his players and on Jim Rome, uh, go to NevadaSportsNet.com. You can find it right there. Uh, switching gears, uh, United Soccer League have announced uh, their season format. It's not uh, as extensive as the season we usually joke about how long the USL season can go. It seems like, hey, this season went for 13 months, but uh, they are going to be able to get some matches in, and, and it's going to be done regionally. Yeah, and they announced the regions today. So there are eight regions. The top two teams in all of those regions will advance to a 16-team uh, uh, single elimination playoff. So uh, Reno was placed with Sacramento FC, which is their big-time rival and a very, very good uh, franchise, and then also Tacoma and Portland Timber. So uh, if you just look at it on paper, uh, it really should be Reno and Sacramento as the top two coming out of that division. Uh, they are by far the best uh, franchises the last couple of years. But with that shrunken season, with only 16 games, really only 15 because Reno's already played one, you know, you lose three in a row and you might put yourself in a tough position. So it just makes every game even more important. And uh, nice to see that they'll at least get a chance to try and uh, finish a season, um, which, you know, looked very, very much in doubt. I know Eric Edelstein, the president, said, they're not going to be making any money off of this because they don't have TV rights really. And they don't have fans in the stadium, at least at the start. Um, but they're doing it just because they want to give people in the community uh, kind of something to watch and, and uplift their spirits and, you know, give them an opportunity to root for a hometown team. Yeah. Sacramento, unfortunately, unfortunately, I think for uh, the USL making that jump to uh, MLS and uh, Reno losing a rival over the hill down in, uh, in Sacktown. 
Coming up next here on NSN Daily, Christian Chamberlain has inked his deal with the Kansas City Royals. We'll have details on that. And the best team the University of Nevada has ever had that nobody talks about. We'll kick that around next. NSN Daily chugging along here on your Thursday. Uh, we've watched this very, very closely as the Major League Draft uh, played out in a very abbreviated form. But uh, Christian Chamberlain, selected by the Kansas City Royals. And Chris, young man's getting a nice little paycheck. Yeah, $450,000 signing bonus. Now, unfortunately, they do not get that full bonus this year. Uh, usually, you would get all of that money right off the bat. I believe you only get 10000 of that, and then the rest is due uh, later just because of the COVID-19 pandemic, and some of these teams are saying that they don't have any money, even though they're all owned by people who have like $3, $4, 5000000000 billion. Uh, but that is a good chunk of money, like you said. His slot was actually for $554,000, so about $100,000 less than what the suggested slot for that spot was, but uh, I don't think you're going to complain about getting $450,000. I went back and looked at largest signing bonuses of, of local kids in the MLB draft. I only found two larger. Daryl Rasner from Carson High got 800000 in 2002, and then Reno High's Garrett Hapson got uh, 750000 in two, uh, 2016. So just really cool to see Christian go from somebody who wasn't drafted coming out of high school and three years later you know, number 105 pick in the draft gets almost a half a million dollars. And I would be curious to see exactly where he goes. Uh, it doesn't look like there's going to be a minor league season as MLB restarts, uh, you know, at the end of next month. Um, you know, do they, how do, how do they, I guess, get him his innings in? Because he only had four starts for Oregon State. But, uh, you know, co college career officially over as he signs this deal. And now he gets to go out and live his dream and, and try and make a big league roster over the next couple of years. Now, as you point out in your article, Chris, I mean, he's 5'10", he's a buck 73. He's not a big dude. Um, he is a lefty, which, which always is beneficial to the pitcher. Fastball mid-90s, nice 12-6 curveball. Um, do you think he's got to figure out a circle change, a split or something else? Do you force, cast him as a starter, or do you think he's a bullpen guy? Yeah, he's probably going to come out of the bullpen, I think, if he gets up to the big league level. But most of these franchises will start you as a starting pitcher and then kind of go from there. And if you can prove you can start, they're, they'll take it. I mean, they're not asking starting pitchers really to go much more than six innings nowadays. I mean, he has the fastball that's major league level. He has a curveball who's major league level. The, the changeup he throws and he has a good feel for it, but it's not a pitch that he's had to use that much because he was coming out of the bullpen for the majority of his career at Oregon State. And he could just go fastball, curveball, and, uh, you know, he set that – a college World Series record with most strikeouts uh, as a relief pitcher in his freshman season. He had 11 of them. Eight of them came on the curveball. So that is a really, really good pitch. And he has a fastball as a lefty. If you're in the mid-90s, uh, that's a really good pitch as well. So if he can get that change up to a point where he can throw that 15 times a game, I think he could be a starter. There's obviously going to be concerns about durability just because of his um, can he get you through the, the lineup twice? Can he get you to 100 pitches? Um, I think if I had to put my money on it, he's going to be a high leverage relief pitcher. Uh, somebody who's pitching in the seventh, eighth, ninth inning could definitely be a closer down the line, um, but might as well give him a crack to try and start. And if it doesn't work out there, then you kind of phase him into a bullpen role. Yeah, I, what I like about him coming out of the bullpen is he does have the mid-90s fastball, but when you've got a 12-6 curveball that could just fall off a table – if you're coming after a, a, a some sort of starting pitcher who doesn't give you that plane, you know, the, the just the eye level, what a hitter's looking at. Maybe you're coming at a guy who's got a three-quarter three quarter delivery and maybe he's throwing a slider and, and a changeup, and then it's just a different look to a hitter. These guys are the best hitters on the planet, but at the same time, when it's something they haven't seen in a game yet, it can certainly uh, be the advantage of the pitcher on that one. 
unbelievable record at Reno High School, three-year varsity, 17-1, and one, ERA of under one, 221 strikeouts in 111 innings. We talked about uh, very briefly that best team that you've never talked about at the University of Nevada. I had the privilege of covering this softball team um, under the coaching of Michelle Gardner when they, uh, when they got to go to uh, – Go to the uh, go to the regionals and, and play Oregon State, Chris. I'm glad you did this because this was such a special group of student athletes. Um, you can go down the list. Jordan McPherson is really the the face of the team, but so many around the the Stith sisters around that team. Um, you've got you've got Noel Mika, who is an incredible slugger. Where did this Where did this pop into your head that you wanted to go? Hey, I'm going to write a story. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, there, there's not much going on right now in terms of live sports. So I've kind of been dipping back to the history back to a lot of this stuff. And, I mean, you look at best team in Nevada history. I think people point out the 2010 football team, well, very much warranted. The 2004-2018 basketball teams that both made it to the Sweet 16. But you don't hear as many people talk about the 2008 Nevada softball team, and they should. I mean, you're talking about a team that went 44-18. and 18. That's the most wins in a single season in the history of Wolfpack Athletics. They went 16-2 and two in the WAC, and people might look at that record and say, well, you know, how good was the WAC? Well, the WAC was really good. It had four of their seven teams make the NCAA tournament. Three of those teams were ranked. So to go 16-2 and two against that kind of competition to win the WAC regular season title was tremendous. Uh, they went 11-0 at home. Uh, they beat the number one team in the nation in Arizona early in the season. That Arizona team went all the way to the College World Series. Uh, and then they beat eight top 25 teams throughout that season. So those eight top 25 wins more than the 2010 football team and the 2014 and 18 basketball teams combined in their season. So this really was a tremendous team that honestly could play and beat any team in the nation. They obviously beat the number one team in the nation, but also in the NCAA tournament, they acquitted themselves really, really well. They went up against UCLA, which was ranked number two in the nation. Uh, they lost the first game by two runs. They actually had a one run lead in the last inning there was a grounder to the second baseman who unfortunately made an error. That would have been the last out. Nevada would have won that game and then moved into the championship round. They ended up getting to the championship round out of the double elimination format, and then they lost to UCLA by one run. And then UCLA goes to the, the, the Super Regional and beats Georgia by a combined 12-1 to 1 over the two games. So this was legitimately like a top 5-10 team in the nation, and I think people don't really look at the team and maybe put them in the class as the, the football teams that I mentioned and the two basketball teams that I mentioned. Uh, really great team. Brittany Pusey was a local. Britton Murdoch was a, a local as well. And, uh, you know, it was just uh, remarkable that Michelle Gardner, starting a program from scratch within five years, had a legitimate top 15 team in the nation that could beat anybody that they played against. I mean, she did a tremendous job in her brief tenure here before she ended up going to Indiana. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the locals on that team, and you, you took the words out of my mouth. Britton Murdoch, who was a prominent member of that team, I believe Reno High School, correct? Didn't you go to Reno? Um, and um, and now she's a, a local businesswoman. We've actually had her on the show. She's got a fashion a, a fashion store. And then Brittany Pusey of Douglas High School, who literally was – she had the swing like Will Clark. I mean, it was beautiful for that ballpark. And I don't know that I've seen a power hitter play for Nevada, Nevada softball that was, that was as good as Brittany Pusey because she was absolutely phenomenal. Daughter, daughter of course, of Jim Pusey, who's also – you know, uh, a Hall of Famer uh, locally in, in high school lore. But, uh, yeah, I'm glad that you gave them some love. Both of those stories, Christian Chamberlain and that Nevada softball team that won 44 games, both on our website, courtesy of Chris Murray. If you want to check them out, nevadasportsnet.com. 
Coming up after the break, Wolfpack basketball player Zane Meeks, the big sophomore, will join us here on the show. Welcome back to NSN Daily. Margulies and Chris Murray joined by Zane Meeks, soon to be sophomore at the University of Nevada, Wolfpack basketball player and our champion Chevrolet athlete of the month. Zane, we got to talk about the hair first. I got a little growth going on for me behind the ears here too, man. Uh, it's getting long up, up top there. Have, I you, know, have but, you had a haircut yet since since quarantine or what? Yeah, I had a few back home. And then I got out here and I just haven't been able to get one. And so I was kind of just like, let's let it grow and see what it's like. <laughs> just see what happens. Is that the longest your hair's ever been? This is this is close. This might be the long. It's really close. It is really close. <laughs> what about my hair, guys? Uh, it's, looking, sorry, it's looking great it's looking sorry great, Chris. Source subject. my bad my bad so uh you know nevada's kind of in their pilot program of bringing 31 student athletes back out into the community into the campus and you're one of them there are uh six in uh, men's basketball i guess what's the process been like so far as you guys kind of return you go through the quarantine and you know try and get ready for a season well so we weren't able to do anything for the first two weeks we were pretty much out of the training room out of sessions nobody's been in Lawler yet uh monday we were able to start working out so we have we lift with coach Eck four times a week and then after that we have our time slot for sessions is from 115 to 4 and so you know we're allowed to do voluntary workouts you know kind of play some pickup play two on two we only have five or six guys that are cleared right now you know the freshmen just got back and some of the freshmen aren't even here yet so you know it's kind of like this weird uncharted territory just trying to get in the gym as much as we can and it's just it's weird that's the only way to describe it yeah, I mean, there's just – there's no one's ever been through anything like this. So, I mean, going from being at home and isolating and doing all that, and now you're here and you had to quarantine for a couple of weeks, it is, is it good just to be around even just a couple of your teammates? You guys get to actually be in the gym a little bit together. Uh, I know you can't really do a whole lot right now, but is it good just to kind of see those familiar faces? Oh, it was, it's an absolute blast to be back with my guys. You know, we're all such good friends. And, you know, all of us were sitting at home talking in our group chat every day, like, man, we can't wait to be back. We finally get back up here. And it's been, it's been a fun two weeks. But, you know, we're certainly ready to go get back full steam with workouts with Coach and everybody and just everything going back to normal. I know uh, Coach Alford is hopeful to have some time with you guys as a team, maybe smaller groups, uh, you know, toward the end of July and August. Let's say, unfortunately, that doesn't happen. How much do you guys have to take as kind of the veterans of the team, a leadership role, and making sure you guys are trying to simulate kind of voluntary practices as best as you can so that all of these younger guys who are going to be cleared pretty soon, you know, know what's going to be going on as soon as you guys hit uh, actual practices in August? Well, you know, this is something we actually talked about. Warren and I were talking about this the other day, and there's no true way to simulate a college-level practice or college-level game. There's just no way. You know, everyone as a freshman comes in, you think, oh, I'm ready. You're not. There's just – I don't care who you are. You know, it's just – there's nothing to simulate college basketball practice or a game. It's just a completely different level. Everyone's much stronger, much quicker, much faster, can jump higher. You know, there's just no way to simulate it. Zane, uh, when you look back at your, your freshman season, we see that dunk there. Uh, against UNLV you guys were 2-0 and against them we talked to you a couple months back but now that you've even been more removed from that first freshman year what sticks out just about the memories of being able to play your first season of college basketball well it was an absolute blast you know it was everything I hoped it was you know traveling the country playing you know in front of sold out arenas almost every night is, it's more fun than I can even describe you know being back here for two weeks now without Scrizz, Jalen, Jazz, Lindsey. It, it's weird. It, without JC, it's weird. You know, my freshman year, that's what I got used to. And, the, you know, not have Jazz to come down and bug me at 6 a.m. to go work out is it's weird. It's just, it's, totally, it's a total adjustment. 
you don't usually see sophomores as kind of quote unquote leaders of the team, but you guys don't have any scholarship seniors. You only have two scholarship juniors. Uh, you are the team's leading returning score. Uh, how much responsibility do you feel like you need to take in uh, the leadership role and being the guy to go out and bug others at 6 a.m. to like, let's go get some shots up. Let's go get some work in so we're as good as we can be. You know, I'm trying to do my best. Um, it is weird. We don't have a true senior. We don't have a true leader, you know, based on age, you know, just doing my best to get everybody acclimated and ready to go for, you know, what is sure to be a memorable season with everything going on. You know, who knows if we're going to play, if we'll start in January, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, you know, right now, just make sure everyone's mindset is, you know, we're going to start in November and we need to prepare like we're going to play in November. And, you know, just get ready. You know, we don't have Jalen to be like, here, go score. You know, <laughs> it's going to have to be one of us. So just that mindset of, you know, get ready. We're 140 some days away. Like it's coming quick. So we get asked all the time, Zane, you know, who, who's, who's the next man up? Who are the guys that are going to be kind of taking this bigger role on the team? And, and two guys that come to mind for me are two sitouts from last year, Warren Washington and Desmond Cambridge. You got a chance to see them every day in practice, up close and personal. What can you tell us about just the talent level and, and what these two guys are going to bring to the table this year? Well, I'll tell you what, Reno's going to love both of them. You know, Desmond is a high flyer. He has a lot of energy. He is a lot of fun to be around. You know, he takes some wild shots, but he can really fly. And Warren, Warren's going to be a beast. I mean, I think he's truly 7-1. You know, there's nobody really knows. I mean, he's huge. He dunks everything. I mean, it's the point where it's like, just, all right, just get out of his way. Let him dunk it. You know, if it's a pick and roll situation and he gets two steps towards the rim, you know, it's going to be a highlight. <laughs> You really look at last year's team to this year's team. A lot of the proven talent last year's team was in the backcourt. Like you mentioned, you had Jalen, you had Jad, you had uh, Nizre, you had Lindsey. And then this year, it seems like the majority of the proven talents in the front court. It's Warren, it's KJ, it's you, it's Robbie. Uh, I think DeAndre Henry can be a very, very good player as a freshman. Um, how do you see the team maybe changing how it plays uh, just with that kind of shift of talent moving from the backcourt to the front court? Well, you know, once again, we don't have Jalen. That's, I mean, that's the biggest change for me is, you know, we don't have somebody where like, here, you know, go score 34 games in a row. You know, <laughs> we don't have that this year. Um, I think we'll certainly do a lot more posting up this year. You know, we didn't post up much last year. We didn't really have to. You know, we had four of the best guards, arguably, in the Mountain West. But, you know, I think our offense will change a little bit. You know, we've already had some Zoom meetings talking about that sort of stuff. But I think the inside game is going to be something that, you know, is seriously, you know, we have to focus on this year. Last year, it was kind of like, all right, Jalen, you know, drive to the basket, Jazz, you know, shoot a three, Lindsay, do whatever you want to do. And now it's like, all right, you know, let's post up, let's get some movement on that backside, you know, cut for some threes, you know, that sort of stuff. Zane, now that we're seeing sports kind of return, golf is back in, in some way, you know, a little bit of soccer is back, baseball uh, looks like it's coming back in a couple of weeks. Is there one sport in particular that you just as a fan are most looking forward to returning and being able to watch and, and just kind of keep track of over the next couple months? Football, man. I need my Chiefs back. I want to win our second Super Bowl in a row. That's all I'm looking for, man. Give us, give me, give me football. That's all I care about. Take us through that Super Bowl because it wasn't looking pretty for about the first 50 minutes, uh, and then Patrick Mahomes got things going. What was that experience like for you watching a hometown team go out and win, uh, you know, a Super Bowl, and uh, just the, the fashion and how it happened? Well, I'll tell you, every playoff game was a roller coaster. I mean, we were down like 21-0 of the uh, Houston Texans, and I'm sitting in my room like near tears. Like, is this, <laughs> is this really how it's going to end? We're going to lose to the Texans, and like we've got the best offense, you know, maybe ever, and this is going to happen? I mean, it was a roller coaster. I mean, I was in my room, and Jalen – so Jalen was my roommate last year, and he texted me, are you okay? 
like after going to the Super Bowl, because I'm in here just screaming, calling all my family. You know, I'm like, can I get home to go to the parade? And we were in season, so I couldn't. But it was it was awesome. I mean, it was – I don't even know how to describe it, but it was awesome. It was way better than when the Royals, the Royals won the World Series, I'll tell you that much. Uh, your pain is my demise. I'm a Niner fan, so it's been, it's, it's been a tough one to swallow <laughs> this, this time. But uh, enjoy the win. Uh, do, do your victory lap for the next year. And uh, hope to see you soon, man. Get out there on the court. And uh, we appreciate you joining us here this week as our uh, champion athlete of the month. All right. Thank you, guys. Stay safe. All right. Zane Meeks from the Nevada basketball team joining us here on NSN Daily. We'll have more of our show just after a quick break. Well, this has been a lot of fun over the last few months, uh, and it's not just to create content. This has been a great uh, viewer participation sort of, uh, sort of challenge, the GOAT challenge, greatest of all time when it comes to sporting figures in our area. We are down to the Elite Eight, Chris, and one, a two, a one, a two, a one, a two, a two, and a 16 made it to the Elite Eight. Uh, I have to applaud you, sir, on your, uh, your seatings. Pretty good. I know. I should have just skipped ahead straight up to this point. We've been voting for two months just to get all these one and two seeds, except for Nate Burleson, who comes in as a 16 seed. So congrats to Nate. Uh, I'm not sure I 100% agree with that. I think Patty Sheehan got robbed. Uh, International Golf Hall of Fame. She won like seven major championships. Uh, I feel kind of badly that she lost in the first round, but I, I gave her too hard of a matchup with Nate. But yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, I guess nothing too unexpected as we go into the Elite Eight matchup with uh, kind of the cream of the crop. I mean, a lot of these names, super, super familiar. And, um, you know, the, the matchup I'm by far most looking forward to is Chris Alt against Colin Kaepernick. Chris Alt's been destroying people. He's got at least 83% of the vote in all three of his matchups. He's not going to be getting 83% of the vote against Colin Kaepernick. I could see that one going either way. So that will be a fun one. That, that, that's the one that uh, I'm most looking forward to. But the, the other three matchups are also very, very strong. Yeah, I mean, the Sierra Nevada region, Greg LeMond's, versus Marion Motley, a one versus a two. Great Basin region, 16 at Nate Burleson versus Matt Williams. Battleborn region, Chris Alt versus Colin Kaepernick. Truckee Meadows region, David Wise versus Gabby Williams. What are your feelings on that one, how that's going to turn out? I like that one because those are the only two people we have left actually born in northern Nevada. David was born in Reno. Gabby obviously grew up in Sparks. Uh, the rest of them obviously have a long history of their time in northern Nevada, but they were born elsewhere. So um, I don't know. I think David will probably eke that one out. Uh, I think people just like him in general. Um, but like you can make a very strong case for picking Gabby Williams uh, all the way through the championship. I mean, this is a, a two-time national champion who only lost three games in college, number four pick in the WNBA draft. She competed in the Olympic trials when she was 15 in the high jump uh, and almost made the Olympics as a 15-year-old. Um, that was before a couple of torn ACLs. So if I had to guess, I, I think we're going to see Greg LeMond edge out Marion Motley. I think we're going to have Matt Williams get past Nate Burleson. I think Alt beats Cap. And then I, I think David probably edges out Gabby. So I think you're going to see uh, three number ones and then a number two in Matt Williams. But I could be wrong. I mean, like Marion Motley could very easily beat – Greg LeMond, I think people have a much greater appreciation for him uh, just with what's been going on in the, the country over the last month. I think he has a lot more understanding for how great of a figure he was, not only in Northern Nevada, but in sports by breaking the professional color barrier in, in football. You know, one of the other things I appreciate is your naming of the regions. I, I'm looking here and I'm like, Sierra Nevada, Great Basin, Battleborn, Truckee Meadows. Well played. I like it. Yeah, it kind of worked out. Like Sierra Nevada, I mean, Greg LeMond uh, used to uh, ride up uh, mountains, so that kind of works out. Uh, Battleborn, obviously, Alt and Kaepernick, those are Battleborn names. And uh, 
Truckee Meadows. Uh, we have the two people actually born in the Truckee Meadows with yeah. David Wise and Gabby Williams. Great Basin. Yeah, I don't know if that one has any specific tie to Nate Burleson and Matt Williams in that bracket. It would be funny to see Nate win it because literally I was about to send out the seeds and I didn't have Nate in there at all. And then like for whatever reason, he just popped into my mind. So I'm like, I'll put him on as a 16. Like he had a really good, you know, NFL career, 11 seasons. And if he goes out there and wins it, that would just be uh, remarkable. I think, uh, you know, with his dealings in the media, you know, obviously on the CBS morning show, he has a show on NFL Network and he's actually on the entertainment show, uh, which I watch, uh, I don't know why, I watch every night now that the uh, pandemic is hit, uh, you kind of see his face all over the place. So I think that's probably helped him out a little bit. Uh, you know what, uh, there's no shame in television right now. If you have found a show that you like, uh, that that's how I'm literally planning my evenings. I mean, last night being Wednesday, I'm watching um, MasterChef from a year ago and re-watching that. And then there's a game called Ultimate Tag who uh, it's hosted by the Watt brothers. And honestly, I've become addicted to that. Tonight, there's a show called Holy Moly. That's on, and it's miniature golf for crying out loud. But Rob Riggle is hilarious. Joe Tessitore hosts it, and, and it's, it's done really well. Now, you might not have the information in front of you, and I apologize if I'm asking you a, a blindside question. Um, Joe Lenardi does his first four in, first four <laughs> or last four in, last four out. Didn't make this field were i didn't necessarily like do that i did list like 50 names of also considered just so i didn't like leave anybody out who uh you know should have kind of been in i had like krista palmer on and i took her off right at the end uh i had uh nicola Adair on and i took her off right then uh somebody who probably should have made it would have been todd clever so he has the most caps ever for a uh, rugby athlete in America and he played for UNR's club rugby team. Uh, you could have put Ken Dalton very easily. You could have put Joe Sellers very easily. Uh, Steve McKinney and Darren Rolves were both uh, historically good skiers. Um, so there's a ton of names on there uh, who, you know, I could have gone twice as long. I could have done instead of 64, 128 and still had plenty of names. So those are the ones that kind of stand out to me. I mean, Allie McKnight was a a really, really good track and field athlete. She beat Jackie Joyner Kersey in one run, and then she went into the bobsled ranks as well. So, uh, you know, Armand Johnson, one of two players from our area to ever make the NBA, doesn't make the list, and that was very difficult. So Brandon Marshall, Kyle Van Noy, uh, just a ton of really great athletes who have come out of northern Nevada. And uh, a lot of the ones who didn't make it were you're kind of your football players and your basketball players just because I wanted to try and diversify with as many sports as possible in the actual 64. Yeah, I think the most vocal – um, fan base of someone who didn't make it was Van Noy. Uh, yeah. That was pretty much the, the kickback that I saw, despite uh, Kyle's um, maybe ill use of Twitter about his hometown a few years ago, which still kind of grinds me a little bit, but uh, I defend the 775 till I die. But uh, yeah, I think it was Van Noy's fan base that was probably the most vocal about him being left off. I mean, he's won two Super Bowls. He was an All-American at BYU. He's one of the highest-rated recruits to ever come out of Northern Nevada. He just signed, like, a $50 million deal with the Dolphins. Uh, it just goes to the point that there were so many great athletes that it was hard to leave some off. I mean, Josh Maga, Harvey Dahl, both from Fallon, played in the NFL. Like, those are great stories. JoJo Townsell, uh, one of the first-ever locals to make it to the NFL, a Hug High graduate who then went to UCLA and played for the Jets. He was actually the Jets' MVP one season. Uh, Eric Wilson, who competed in the, the Summer Olympics as a triple jumper, uh, you know, Daryl Rasner, Charlie Kerfield, like the names are just one after another. So yeah. there's no right answer or wrong answer. I just picked 64 and, uh, you know, very easily could have let, you know, left Nate off the list. But, uh, you know, thankfully I didn't because the, the fans clearly wanted him on.
If you want to participate in our GOAT Challenge, you can do it by going to the website. That's NevadaSportsNet.com or follow us on Twitter at NevadaSportsNet. You want to follow Chris? Follow him at by Chris Murray on Twitter. Always a great follow. Coming up next year on NSN Daily, is Vince Carter a Hall of Famer? I don't want to use the pun, but I think it's a slam dunk. That's next. It is Thursday. That means bet or no bet brought to you by Joey Gilbert Law. Sometimes it's an issue. Sometimes it's a joke. Sometimes it's a supporting event. This is an athlete. Uh, Vince Carter has announced uh, that this is it. Uh, you know, he did it before the season, said this was going to be his final season when he signed with the Hawks. But uh, now that Atlanta is not going to be part of what we hope is going to be a, a miniature NBA season, um, bet or no bet, Chris, this guy's got over 25,000 points in his career. Um, is, is he a Hall of Famer? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I bet on that. I'm actually more interested in uh, you kind of opened the show by saying somebody on, uh, you know, staff said that he did not belong in the Hall of Fame. I'm guessing it's weatherman Steve Bender. Is that accurate or is that inaccurate? I am not going to relinquish oh, my on. source at this time. <laughs> Maybe later on after I – let me reach out to this person and see. I mean, he was an eight-time All-Star. It's your entire career, not just your NBA career. So he was a tremendous collegiate player at North Carolina. He won an Olympic gold medal where he jumped over a seven-foot Frenchman named uh, Frederick Weiss, uh, which is maybe the most memorable basketball moment in the Olympic history. Uh, he played for 22 years, which is just a ridiculous show of how much he put into the sport in his body to last that long. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a slam dunk. And, like, the, the Basketball Hall of Fame is not nearly as picky as MLB or NFL. It, it's a lot harder to get into those two Hall of Fames than the uh, Pro Basketball Hall of Fame. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he was great. I think he's the best dunker that's ever lived. I mean, Aaron Gordon maybe as well. Um, but I think Vince Carter just a little bit more special because he's doing it at 6'6", and uh, Aaron Gordon's doing it at 6'10". And I think whenever you're a little bit shorter, not that 6'6 six, six is short, it just looks more uh, fabulous. So, yeah, I mean, he's uh, Vince Sanity. He's half man, half amazing. He, he def definitely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And that's the thing is I, I want people to remember Vince Carter for being more than just a dunker because, you know, I mean, the guy ended up with over 1,500 blocks in his career. I mean, he ended up with over four, almost 4,000 uh, or, or 1,500 blocks or 1,500 steals in his career, almost 900 blocks in his career. Three-point percentage was 37%. I mean, he was a guy who could do everything. And longevity, people will remember him as a Raptor how many people are going to remember that he played for the Suns, that he played for the Sacramento Kings, that he spent three years in Dallas? You know, he was everywhere. And I got the chance to see Vince Carter. I didn't get to meet him. We went down and did a, uh, a Reno Bighorns game when they played Salt Lake City in Sacramento at the Kings Arena. And Vince Carter just comes walking out onto the floor and sits with all the Kings, these Kings that are in their early 20s, and he's in his 40s, and he's one of the dudes you could just tell he was a good guy. And he's one of those guys that you look back on him and, and so many players might have a skeleton in a closet. They might have a moment in their career where they said something or did something. And, and you kind of go, yeah, that's going to kind of tarnish. Vin, Vince Carter doesn't do that to me. He just seems like he's one of those guys that was just a good teammate. Yeah, and I think that's why he stuck around so long. Maybe people don't recognize his greatness because, as you mentioned, he played for a lot of teams, eight different teams, and maybe he was kind of viewed by the current generation as like this journeyman who just kind of came off the bench and was in the rotation for 20 minutes. But, I mean, this is a guy who made 
eight all-star uh, berths in a row. Like he was the best, best basketball player among the best for an entire decade. Uh, yeah, an absolutely tremendous player. It was much more than the dunker, like you said. I remember uh, vividly the game that he played. There was a playoff game, a game seven of the playoffs, and he actually was at his college graduation at the University of North Carolina earlier in the day. I believe the Raptors ended up losing that game. So he got a little bit of criticism for it, but it shows you how dedicated he was to school as well. I mean, he obviously had the opportunity to go to the pros early because he was such a good player, um, but he also uh, was thoughtful enough to finish his college degree and thought it was important for him to actually be there on that stage. And, you know, the, the timing wasn't great, uh, and he had to play a, a playoff game later that day. But uh, it does show you what, what he was as a person um, because a lot of guys don't go back to school and they don't finish their degree once they've made hundreds of millions of dollars like he has. Yeah. Um, but he thought it was worthwhile enough to go and get that education. Yep, I'm going to agree with you 200%. That Vince Carter is, I believe, a first ballot Hall of Famer. Coming up next year on NSN Daily, a mini version of Exploring Our Backyard, a little gem that I found that I want to share with you coming up next. Wrapping things up here on NSN Daily, I want to thank Zane Meeks for coming on the show. Uh, always good to talk with him and uh, hear, uh, hear how some of our athletes are continuing to stay vigilant through, uh, through this pandemic. Uh, usually we do an Exploring Our Backyard every week, and it's one, a member of our staff has gone out and found a, a cool place. I went to Crystal Peak Park yesterday in Verdi, and it is phenomenal. They've got the Verdi ponds there that are absolutely just teeming with fish and life and seeing a, I, I was assumed a, a grandfather with his two grandsons, they're out fishing and it was just pure Americana, Chris. And you can, these paths are um, just absolutely manicured and you can kind of sneak off the path a little bit, get down to the river, find some shade. And the parking lot was packed, but you never saw anybody because there's so many places you can go explore. It's really cool. Yeah. I've actually been there. We were, and down here in South Reno. So when we were looking at houses one day, we ended up going down there and walking around. And then we went probably about a month ago again, because like you said, it is kind of secluded. It's actually not that far away from downtown, maybe like 12 minutes, but it's a really cool area. Like you said, a couple of fishing ponds. It's right there on the Truckee River. So you can, uh, you know, go in there and fly fish or just, you know, throw rocks in the, in the river like my son likes to do. There's a little horseshoe pit area, a couple of barbecue pits, uh, not a ton of parking, but it is a really nice little gem and kind of a hidden park that's, uh, you know, a cool feature if you live over in that Verdi area. Yeah, Crystal Peak Park, uh, Verdi exit. And uh, yeah, I mean, the water, step, it was hot. It was like 96 when we got down there. But you put your feet in the water and all your worries just go away. And because the water of the Truckee River coming out of Lake Tahoe is absolutely magical. That'll do it for us here on NSN Daily for Anthony Resnick. Driving us behind the scenes, I'm Brian Samudio and Chris Murray. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you Friday.